Hey Adore Hackers, welcome to this week's episode. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about a problem that pretty much affects anyone doing SEO for a long enough amount of time. And that is, what the hell do you do with all these pages that are not ranking that you intended to rank for? How do you fix them? How do you get them back up? But this podcast episode is going to be quite a bit further than that. It's going to be opening the debate as well of whether we should publish lots of content all the time or if we should focus on more restricted sites that are like more well-maintained and we spend more time re-updating pages, etc. So it's going to be a quite interesting podcast. Honestly, I had the most fun recording that one that I had in a while, actually. So I hope you're excited for this and let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. I know you missed me, so I'm back on the podcast and I am back with Mark. So, uh, you know, Mark, you know, you know what's coming now. Do I really need to say it? <laughs> no? No? Okay, fine. How's it going, Mark? There's been a development. Oh. If those of you on YouTube will see that I now have like a somewhat nicely designed, although it's been quite polarizing. About 50% of people said, that looks really cool. Maybe they're just being nice. The other 50% have said, that looks terrible. My mom said that. Uh So if you think this looks terrible, and if you think my mom's an idiot, then go post a comment on YouTube and (laughs) uh, tell us what you think. That's that's a bad thing to to prompt for. But uh, I mean, fine. Should be happy to read the comments, I think. Okay, but that's not what today's podcast is about. Today's podcast is about, I think it's a very common problem, and I feel like we didn't really have dedicated uh, podcast episodes for that. And the truth is because it's kind of a hard question to answer, and people know the question because they've seen the title already. Uh, But that is, what the hell do you do when you've published a page and it's stuck on page three, and you don't know what to do, and it's not ranking, right? And I want to like even take a bit of a step back on this because I want to look back at like the business model of building websites, right? The common wisdom is you build a website, and you publish another page and another page and another page and another page. And eventually some of them will work, some of them will not. And you'll do okay, basically. And you make some money and it's going to be a profitable business, etc. And usually, you know, the ratio of pages that are really successful, like really like top three for your target keywords. I mean, it depends on the site. If you if you really have a really good site and you're really competitive in your market, it might be like one in three, one in five pages or something like this. If you're like an average site, it's usually more like one in 20 or one one in 10 to 20, I would say, something like this, like, you know, nine out of 10 pages, they might rank on page two or something, but really they're not what you imagine them to be when you build that page, right? And it's quite frustrating, et cetera. But usually you shrug it off and you keep publishing and you're just like, well, okay, next and next and next and it's fine, et cetera. The problem is that as your website grows, the best keywords start being behind you. You've already published pages for them. And if your focus is on these new pages all the time, you're essentially spending a lot of time, energy, and money on keywords that are less interesting than probably the pages you've already published for. And many of these pages are not ranking. And so that is kind of a problem that uh, I think needs to be addressed. And I think with you know all the content updating stuff that needs to be done these days, etc. Having a larger content inventory is essentially a bigger liability in terms of maintaining your website versus having fewer pages and fixing them and actually ranking where you intended them to rank at the beginning. So this podcast is, you know, I'm kind of opening with that question of like, you know, should we keep the mentality of like publishing, 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 or should we build smaller sites that are more well-maintained and that are actually ranking for most of the pages that uh, we build on them for the keywords that we intend to rank for and maybe just keep fighting basically versus publishing new content. I don't really have, you know, an answer to that. 
Other than like, I mean, it's kind of like up to you. And I think the answer is probably as as usual going to be, a, it depends somewhere in the middle, basically. <laughs> Done. All right. See you next week. It uh, always depends. <laughs> okay. But like, you know what I mean? It's like, um, it's, it's going to be something like that. But I think it's an important debate to have internally on like, um, how much do we go for new pages? How much do we go for fixing the pages that don't rank? And so this podcast is going to be talking about, okay, what the hell do you do with all these pages that don't rank for their keywords? And we all have them. Like, I don't care how big of a guru you are. I find pages on your site that are not what you want them to be. So that's pretty much it. Anything like on the top level you want to say before we get into the actual Yeah, I just think that like most people who have new, new-ish sites haven't necessarily come across this problem because they're in that mode where they're just like output content, output content, you know, they've done their first hundred keyword research or whatever, and they're just trying to get that out there. But it's a problem that creeps up in you so very quickly. And I think that it's maybe a lesson that we would learn starting new sites today is to just be like, try and get the hit rate a little bit higher because what tends to happen is you look at the the low hanging fruit keywords early on. And so if there's if you have a lot of those that are not that are missing the mark rather, then um, yeah, it's not a really good thing. Yeah, and it's probably a bigger opportunity to get these ranking than to pick a keyword. That's like basically you're losing the ratio. The ratio is like okay, how hard is it to rank? How much money can I make if I rank? Basically, and that ratio kind of shrinks as you do keyword research. Not all keywords are equal, and if you're good at keyword research, you'll find these keywords you know fairly early on. And new opportunities open as you grow in authority, etc. But the truth is, it's even if you grow in authority, if you don't have these easy keywords, they're probably low hanging fruits that are more worth focusing on than creating new pages. And I think it's really a mentality change that needs to happen for a lot of people. And a lot of very successful sites have made that mentality change and that's why they're successful today as well. And I think, like I've been looking a lot at very competitive industries recently and pages are updated monthly, basically. Like there is someone going through that page every month. But anyway, let's go through the list. Let's get started. And I think the first one is going to be probably the least nice one to hear, but basically it's just change your target keyword or even abandon the content, to be honest. And I want to explain. Basically, when you select a keyword, you do your keyword research, you're like, you're on Ahrefs or you're on SEMrush or whatever. Uh, You run out of of credits apparently on Ahrefs, so you just have to, (laughs) you know, like apparently you, you had to switch to something else or you had to pick the keywords you searched. Anyway, you pick the keyword, you looked at the subs, you saw, you know, a bunch of like the R40s, 50s ranking for that keyword, et cetera. And you're like, okay, I can probably rank on the first page of Google for that keyword. Competition is not too tough. I can write about this, etc. And so you do that. And then after that, you write that content. And sometimes it takes time to get the content together and then published and then edited, etc. It could take like, you know, by the time your article starts ranking, it's gone through all that process. You know, it's four, five, six months later. Sometimes like, or even if you've waited till you looked at it, it's been a year since you looked at that keyword, right? And you re you Google that query and the subs are completely different. There's a bunch of DR75 sites ranking and it's like, it's much more committed and you're here with your DR40 sites and you're like, well, I don't really qualify for, like I, if I was looking at this sub today, I would probably not select that keyword anymore. And so there is a, a bit of that, especially with updates, right? Google does shuffle the results when there's big updates. And uh, you might often find, for example, that something that was a long tail query that had a bunch of like smaller sites ranking, 
now is associated to a bigger topic. So maybe you had, let me take an example, like I've been looking at the VPN niche recently. So like best VPN for, for Intel Max, for example, because now Macs have changed processors. So something like this, so like that would be a long-term query people might search for. But maybe, maybe before there was specific pages ranking for that because it's a fairly technical topic. But now Google's like, well, fuck this. It's all the same anyway. And then best VPN for Macs, top results has basically taken over that keyword and you can't, rank for that. So what do you do here? Well, there's really two cases. One, the page has links, and you should probably salvage these links in some way, because links are, are rare and expensive, or it doesn't have links. If it has links, the question is, can you target a lower competition variation of a keyword? So can you find another long-tail variation of that keyword to rebranch that page to maybe work the content a bit and target that. It's quite rare to be honest because now Google tends more to take these long-term keywords and associate them with this parent keyword like I did with the example for the best VPN for Mac, for example. It's quite rare, but it can happen. And if that's not the case, then my recommendation, and, and if you have no chance of ranking, is to thrill one that page to the most related page you have on your website that could use a bit of a boost in terms of links because at least you, this link equity that does nothing because you have no chance of ranking starts doing something for another page. And I think that's that's a better use of resources, basically. Question on that. So this like SERP ab- aggregation or whatever it's called, yeah. in the VPN niche specifically, I mean, something I noticed there is you, you have like all these different VPN companies and they basically are very, very similar, offering very similar services. But whether you're using a PC, a Mac, a kind of phone or whatever, doesn't it like really anyway, doesn't make so. much difference at all. So I can kind of understand where Google's coming from, where it's just like, well, let's just find the the best v- overall VPN article and then rank that first for all of these terms or for, for a lot of them at yeah. least. I, I can understand that. Does that play out the same in other industries and other niches? I mean, it, again, it, it will depend because like, for example, for your example, I could counter it. For example, if you use an Apple device, they have specific processors and if the application is optimized for it, you get much better battery life. So if the VPN app is not written for that, that new code base, it's translated and it uses much more battery. So like as an Apple user, I would enjoy having my VPN app to be properly written so that it doesn't eat my battery, for example. So in that case, you could okay. argue no, that there is a specific case to be made, you know? So that gives you an example. So similar examples can happen in the industries. Like, is there an actual distinction for that subcategory you're trying to create? Big? Sometimes search volume doesn't mean there is a differentiation in terms of the product, like you would ex- you explained for the VPN. And sometimes it does. I don't know, like in this case, like Google still definitely ranks best VPN for Max pages above best VPN, for example, or best VPN for Android above best VPN or something. And so I think it's it's led by search volume more than it's led by like actual product differentiation, you know? It's like, it's led right. by how people search, to be honest. And I don't think Google actually understands what is a VPN yet, you know? But I don't think that, that the, I don't think the, the algo is at this point where it actually conceptually understands what is a VPN? It's just using the top results and search results, etc. Like, uh, so yeah, in that case, maybe one day, but I don't think I don't think it's there yet. It's not that smart yet. So that's basically it. And if it doesn't have links, then really you need to ask yourself the question: Should I should I spend my time on that keyword or should I spend my time somewhere else? And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the answer, if that SERP is definitely that competitive, is going to be you should spend your time somewhere else, and you should 
probably consider deleting that page or just leaving it. You can leave it if you want. It's not going to hurt, but you're just gonna, it's just going to be another page that doesn't rank on your website, basically. So it kind of depends on like how OCD you are about your website. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty much step one. It's not exactly the most fun to hear, but the serial warning can make a difference. Actually, we've done several on Atari Hacker in the past six months, and we've seen really good results from redirecting pages that had lots of links but didn't rank for keywords we couldn't take, let's be honest, and two pages that were more doable, for example. So here's an example of a page we still have on Atari Hacker that we should do these two, and it's, it's still not done. I was checking before the, the podcast. It's the best keyword tools page, right? So when I wrote that page, we, we were actually like top three for like a few years, actually. But now if you Google that query, and I've actually made the screenshot for the editor so he can overlay this, even Backlinko is number five now. He's DR90, right? So that gives you an idea of, like, I mean, we're DR70 something. So we're okay, but we're not, we're not that big for this industry. And that's, a, that's definitely an example of such case where it's like, probably shouldn't waste our time creating best keyword tools. And, and it's kind of a shame because I believe my analysis of keyword tools will be better than pretty much everything that's ranking. But Google <laughs> decided otherwise. Sorry, guys. Uh, maybe we'll make a YouTube video if you guys want or something. But like, but yeah, it's it, it's one of these things where it's like, well, sorry, my time is spent. It's better spent somewhere else. And if I'm a bit strategic about the way we run our business, the same way you should be strategic about the way you run your websites, I wouldn't spend time on this uh, very much. So that is the first thing to do, basically. Do I should I really still fight for this keyword? Do I still I have a realistic chance? And basically, redo what you did for keyword research, and then adapt based on that. Anything you want to add on this? How realistic of a chance do you need to still consider it? Like you took that example where we're DR seventy five, everyone's DR ninety. Okay, I get that, but like you know, if everyone's DR eighty, it's not just that. Doing... It's like they also have like hundreds of links to page. Right? Like I'm checking the way I would do keyword research, right? So it's not I'm not just looking at DR when I do keyword research. I'm just this is my shortcut, my shortcut for the podcast. But obviously, I'm looking at you know how much effort was put in the content, and you know they do pretty good job, like you know matching the search intent, and we'll talk about that later. Like they do an okay job. It would be significant amount of work to revamp our page to to match that. Then they have lots of links as well on top of being higher authority, et cetera. So that it just accumulates to be like lots. Every page, you can rank for any keyword you want if you just spend your entire life trying to rank for that keyword, right? So it's it's possible to rank for any keyword. The question is, is it worth your time? Like how much money are we going to make ranking for best keyword tool? I know I was told we were top three for a few years, so I know exactly how much money we would make. <laughs> and it's good, but it's not, it's not worth that amount of effort, you know? So like... Yeah, that you need to to weigh the the risk and the cost and rewards basically. And in this case, no, it's not worth the effort. Like the PC mag or whatever is ranking for it can have it now. The next one is fixing your search intent. As I said, I just mentioned search intent, so that's quite good. Especially after Google updates, it's quite often that your post format doesn't always match what is ranking anymore. And that's when you often see your page tumble. Like you, you open analytics, it's like, and it's just like, okay, fine. We need to do something about this. Or you never ranked in the first place. And then in this case, you have no chance, basically. So, you know, like you might see that, for example, now there's only least posts ranking for your keyword. There's only shorter posts. It's something that I've seen more, more and more, like too long content ranks lower than short, concise, to the point content. Like what can can work both ways, I would say these days. Maybe if you're doing a roundup preview, for example, maybe you have your buyer's guide, then you have the list of products, and maybe the pages that all the pages that rank now have like all the products on top, and then have the buyer's guide after. Another thing I've observed recently, like pretty much everyone does that, not only for conversion, but now it's becoming search intent because everyone that's ranking is doing that. 
And it's something that, again, you will need to revamp your content for it if you're not matching this. And I have another example of Atari Hacker, actually, that I picked up. I'm picking Atari Hacker because everyone knows that site. And the query is affiliate marketing websites. It's quite interesting. Our page is definitely the page with the most links. And now it ranks number three or four. Again, we've been number one for that query for many years, but recently we have lost traffic. And the reason why is because that page actually does not match the search intent anymore. Now all the pages that rank, like our page, sorry, lists examples of affiliate sites. Like because it's an affiliate marketing website, it just lists like a bunch of examples of affiliate sites. It gives you some stats, it gives you some ideas. It's an inspiration post to like for people who want to start affiliate sites, basically. But now if you Google the query and you click on any every other results, you will see that people are listing affiliate networks because and I know. <laughs> it's like it's, it feels like that's wrong. Like bad yes. search intent there. Absolutely, but everyone. I mean, I believe that too. <laughs> that's why one of the reasons I haven't touched that page. I'm like Google will get it right one day. They don't. <laughs> so no, and it's like uh, and so like all the top pages apart from maybe one other page that matches what we do now lists affiliate networks, and so. That search intent is now by link metrics. Again, I've put the screenshot for the editor in the folder, so hopefully they can overlay this now. But by link metrics, we are atomizing most people, yet we are not on top of that query anymore for that one reason, because search intent has changed. And it's one of these things because it's only like, you know, it fluctuates between two and three. It's not exactly tanked, you know, it's like we still get decent traffic to that page. And I'm like, you know, when you revamp a page, you're still, and that's an interesting debate to open. You're kind of like rolling the dice again, you know? But it doesn't mean you're going to land number one. It doesn't mean you won't have to put significant amount of effort to even just go back to where you were before doing the changes in that case. So like revamping content when you're number two and three, it's kind of a debate. It's like, is it worth it? Or should I just hang in there and maybe search intent is going to change back or something. And that's possible as well. In this case, uh, because we have so many other things to do, we've decided to just hang in there and see what happens. If the page tanks more, you know, we might revamp it and just match search intent. So I guess I like doing good content, but Google doesn't like it apparently. But um, yeah, if it, if it tanks to like bottom of page one, we might, we might do that. While it's hanging above position four, I think we'll probably leave it as it is. And uh, that's probably the way I would recommend people do that as well. But if it stinks, then yeah, I'm just going to go back the old school way like we talk about it. You know, look at everyone that's ranking, do a better version of this. And usually it's a very boring cookie cutter list post. <laughs> kind of like makes me sad. It really makes me sad where Google is headed. Have you like, lost your faith in Google at this well, point? It's like my theory is that Google is not here to surface good content anymore. It's just here to serve the query. So it's like, it's just here to give the information to people searching for a given query as fast as possible. They don't care if you're a great writer. They don't care if you tell a story. They don't care about your life, your business or anything. You're just a service provider that you've been outsourced to by Google to provide the answer to searchers, you know? And in exchange, you, you might be allowed to monetize it in an appropriate way. And if they deem it inappropriate, you will be kicked out. It's kind of like my vision of SEO these days. Like you're much more like you're like a YouTuber. It's the same thing, right? It's like they you outsource to by Google and they may, they give you some pennies in exchange for doing it, you know. But like obviously you can still make good money, etc. But you know what I mean. Like there's the relationship has changed. Whereas the search engine was the place to surface good content. I think now they've internalized that good content. I mean, people find cool content on social media and people find the answers to their questions on search. And I think they've 
the, the web has been more split up that way and, and they try to, to achieve that vision of just being the best place to answer your question as fast as possible. So facing the best content for immediately answering the query versus, you know, like for example, in this podcast, we're opening bigger debates, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if this was a blog post, like how to help the page rank, like we'd need to go tack, 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 tack and just give the answer and not really like make people think too much. <laughs> we need to, to just do that. And that's, that's kind of the difference. And so that's fixing your search intent. If you page is I would say yeah below four uh, above that even if you're not number one I would say probably hang in there maybe see if there's another update that changes it back otherwise yeah you're gonna have to do such intent I talk a lot about it there's a YouTube video where I talk about reviving old content we're just gonna put a card here and so you guys can check it out and I'll show you kind of the process of following search intent etc in there I'm pretty sure the article I did in that video still ranks actually so pretty cool that's pretty much it anything else on search intent no. Okay, next one is on-page tweaks. So that's a little bit different from search intent. A lot of the stuff we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about links at the end, but like, don't get excited. Like I know links matter, guys, don't worry. But I think that most of the time people kind of like shotgun links at their problems instead of really thinking of their web pages, and that you can often save a lot of money by fixing your pages rather than just trying to brute force your rankings with links. And it doesn't always work these days, actually. Like it, it helps a lot, but if your page is wrong, it's going to be very complicated to rank it for your keywords. So the next one is perform on-page tricks. And that's a little bit different than search intent. It's more like the tips and tricks that you do on your page. Like while Google has all this like AI stuff, et cetera, going, they kind of like, you know, it's kind of like our brain, you know, we have like our frontal cortex that's like can do super deep thinking, et cetera. And we have like our lizard brain that's like, you know, a fucking monkey, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I believe Google's Argo works a little bit the same and, and, and the monkey in there still likes to see things like exact keyword in your text or like your exact keyword in your title tag and things like that. And so these tweaks, if you haven't done them, you probably should run through these on your site. So that's, you know, for us, we use Surface SEO, for example. So make sure like related keywords are present in your score, in your text. And usually for Surfer, like you guys use the content optimizer, the content editor thing. Don't try to go all crazy, like above 60, 70, you're probably good enough as long as it's green. Like people try to obsess over getting the perfect score. Surfer is not Google, right? It's just giving you an idea, but you don't need it to be perfect. Uh, actually, Misha from Surfer sent me a message on Messenger saying, thank you for saying that on the podcast, people are obsessing too much over the score, etc." So Misha, I'm just waiting yeah, for your gifts now for saying it a second time. So I'll send you my address. We had uh, <laughs> an interview with a writer recently and we asked them sort of like about their experience with SEO tools, like pretty uh -huh. standard question. And uh, the first thing he said was, God, I hate Surfer. Um, <laughs> not because it's a bad tool, yeah, but because, because people uh, one of his previous employers was demanding like a super high uh, Surfer score and it ended up being, you know, to the detriment of Yeah, the it article, becomes shit like, content as well. And we'll talk about that yeah. a little bit after as well. But like, yeah, it's like you only to be in the green. And in the green is above 66 on Surfer. It, that's what I, we tell writers. And honestly, it's good enough. If it doesn't work, like, as I said, you're going to have to revisit your pages quite regularly anyway. So, you know, go and experiment with higher scores, lower scores, etc., and make your own observations. For me, after a certain point, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. One thing that I like to do as well that, honestly, I think very few people talk about is doing a very, very light content refresh and just update the publish date. For me, it works really well quite often. How light are we talking here then? Quite often, the way I do this is like most of our posts now have like an FAQ section at the end, you know, we kind of like find related questions. 
it's good practice now with SEO content. I literally just add one question and one answer, and that's it. And it's like, and I just press refresh. So it's usually like one sentence for the question, two or three sentences for the answer, and then update the publish date. I can't believe this trick still works, still works, but it does. Like I've I've done several case studies in there. There's like a full case study somewhere on the blog. I have another one in Atari Hacker Pro actually in the on-page blueprint, and um, it's just. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the tricks that uh, one day it will stop working, but for now it still works. Another thing that works quite well for me is playing with the title tag, like playing with the CTR on the title tag, especially. I'm one of those that believes that results that get both a good uh, dwell time, so like people staying enough on the page, and good CTR in the subs tend to be pushed up in rankings. And that's why a lot of, you know, gray hat SEOs do CTR manipulation, et cetera, and it's talked a lot about and so on. If these guys are doing it, they probably believe in this as well because they're spending their money into that. So, you know, I hope they believe it does something. And I believe it does. And so I don't recommend doing CTR manipulation. I don't think that Google, I've never heard of anyone getting caught for it. So it's not for that. I just, I don't like the idea to be honest that much, but you can play with it, with it on your title tag. So you're like writing better title tags for CTR. So making sure it's not truncated with the data study that shows that truncated title tags get less click-through rate. You know, putting words in parentheses works really well, for example, as well. Putting numbers works really well. Just rewriting your title tag and looking into Google Search Console, what is your average CTR over a period of like 30 days or something, it, it will help. Like you will, you will not only get more traffic because people click more often, but also you will tend to rise in rankings. Eventually, I've actually built a tool in uh, the on-page blueprint on HPro for people to upload these, their search data, their search console, sorry, reports. And then it tells them if they're above or below average compared to their average position. You know, we put the bell curve of click-through rate. It's not perfect because, you know, sub layouts are quite varied, but it still helps identifying the uh, underperformers. So that is another thing I would do. These are the page tricks the main on page tricks i would do is like yeah re-optimize on a page tool on a on page tool do a light content refresh and update the publish date and rework your title tag to try to optimize it yeah not too crazy uh provided the rest of your on page seo is decent these tend to help okay question on that so for updating title tags are there any kind of like tools or processes for doing that kind of at scale that you'd, you'd recommend updating your title tag? i think used Pro has an option to like, you know, you see all your pages, the list of all your pages. But the thing is like, you don't want to update all your title tags. You want to identify the ones that are not performing, you know? And so I don't recommend to do it at scale. I mean, you know, people who do it at scale, it's people like, I remember when we had that task for Expedia, when we had that agency, you know, they're like, oh yeah, we want to update our title tags. I'm like, yeah, it should be fine, et cetera. And they send me the Excel file and it's like a hundred thousand pages. I'm like, okay, well, we probably need to, we probably need to like automate that a little bit or like do this on a mass scale, et cetera. And in that case, it makes sense. For most people who listen to this podcast, I would prefer they do it manually, to be honest, and like, you know, find the underperformers and like focus on the ones that, you know, the really usually like 10 pages bring 50% of the traffic of your site or 10 or 50, between 10 and 50 pages. It's not that much that you can't look at it individually and get a decent uplift for that. So my, my recommendation is to do that. Do you think people should then kind of make their like focus of their site more about just caring about these 50 pages rather than, you know, Yeah, I mean, that, that's the same debate we have. opened at the beginning. Should we publish more content or should we make few pages great, you know? And, but that's the thing, you know, the counter argument is that you find these great pages by publishing a lot. 
Yeah. Like you it's, don't choose it's like a them cycle, quite right? often, you, you know? You, you throw a bunch of shit at the wall, see yeah. what sticks. And then once you are, once you have that real data from actually ranking or whatever, you can then go and like try and prop up all the other similar ones. Yeah, so it's like I think there's cycles and stuff. It's not simple, you know. There's also like all these other pages, even like some of the shit ones that bring you no money. It might bring you a lot of links, for example. So there's secondary benefits that all feed into it as well. See, um, it's it's quite so it's not it's, so simple. It's very, very much an it depends answer, like, exactly. like always. But I think um I think the I like the idea of like going in uh, in cycles, be like, okay, we're gonna have a cycle of like one month where we just publish a bunch of new pages for this new hub we want to do, etc. And oh, next month we're just gonna re-optimize all pages. We're not publishing anything. All our writing capacity is focusing on like we give them back some of their old articles, we rebrief the content, we update it, we just create new design elements for the layout, etc. And we just add this to the pages. So I think I, obviously there's a million ways to do this. There's no right answer. But something like that could be good. But yeah, it's the chicken and the egg because you need lots of publishing to find your successful pages. But also if you have too many pages, you can't build great pages and you you tend to like have less hit rate and waste money. So, and I, that's the, all the dilemma of uh, modern SEO these days, basically. The next thing I want to talk about is, and actually it's, it's kind of fitting, <laughs> I put make your content better slash more comprehensive. And I put in quotes... Did you really want to put make it great again there? No, not really. Actually. I didn't think about this. <laughs> it's kind of outdated now at this point. Anyway, it's funny because I put in quotes, do good content and traffic will come. But, you know, I had the Mad Cuts voice in my, in my head when I, uh, when I wrote that. But um, the thing is, like, I think more comprehensive is probably better. Very often, uh, kind of similar to... You know, the, fir the first thing for the keywords where I was like, well, you did your keyword research, you know, these were like small sites, and you check again six months later, it's huge sites, and you're unlikely to rank. Uh, similarly, pages, if your competitors are updating their content, it's likely if you are going after semi-competitive queries, the pages will change. And I've been surprised more than once on this as well, where, you know, I'll take an example of this post, like, you know, it was like 10 things or whatever, 10, uh, pff, I don't know, like 10 best keyword tools. Let's take that example again, right? And so we'd make like 11, here we go, you know, like 11 best keywords. And then, we're like, and then like a year and a half later, I'm looking back, I'm like, why are we not ranking for that query anymore? Obviously not for keyword tools, but, and then uh, I look and then it's like 85 keyword tools and 87 keywords. And it's like, you know, the, the, the numbers have increased massively. And what it does, most importantly, I think big list posts rank high, not because they're big list posts, but they rank high because there's more list items announced in the title tag when people get to choose on the SERP what they click on. So like, you know, which page are you going to pick? Best 10 keyword tools or best 87 keyword tools, you know? And most people will click on best 87. Don't ask me why. They really care about the, the 77 keyword tool, apparently. I don't, but whatever. It feels, feels like a more comprehensive review because you're but, thinking, okay, they must have tried them all, but you know, probably they haven't. My so. opinion is people are stupid because when you're looking for best, you're looking for a curation effort. You're looking for someone to, to essentially remove the shit and give you the best stuff. And what this is all turning into, it's, it's like the actual entire list and now figure it out again, you know? So now people are going to type best, best keyword tool, you know, it's like, I don't know, like, how do we do this? <laughs> like, my opinion as a person is this is stupid. Google's opinion differs again. And they think that this is a great thing to make bigger lists because it's rewarded. But I think it's rewarded mostly because of people's behavior on the subs and people tend to pick 
higher numbers. And so quite often you're going to have to, again, when you re-google your keyword, you might find that your metrics are fine, unlike the first thing that we said, but you'll find that your content is quite short and you know doesn't cover everything everyone else covers. And so it's not comprehensive and you need to go back and you need to re-edit it and essentially list all the things that you're missing from your competitors, add them to your article as well as update all the stuff that you already have. So if you had numbers, if you had all of that, etc., you haven't touched this article in two years, well, you're going to have to do that. So it's kind of like search intent, not for the article format, but rather for like the actual information in the article and how fresh it is as well. Like the freshness matters as well. So like this updating the, the date is like a trick that I gave you guys, but eventually you'll need your content to kind of like be good enough. Otherwise people will be like, that's that's kind of terrible. One thing that I've started doing on some of our sites is I've put a feedback system actually on our articles. Well, writers, well, readers, sorry, can put a star rating to the article from one from zero to five. And if they drop a low rating, they can drop comments. And we're starting to collect quite a lot of comments of people. I mean, some of them are plain stupid as well, right? <laughs> like, but some of them are quite interesting. And some people who care about the topic drop you information. And I think it's quite useful when you come back and revisit these articles to like give that list of feedback things to your writers. Because I think that this way they can actually give people what they want when they are Googling this stuff, etc. So I think that is cool. Actually, you know what? Uh, let me check the plugin name, actually. I'll tell you guys what plugin I use for WordPress because that's what you guys want. Yeah, so the plugin that I use is called Rate My Post WP Rating System. It's free, actually. You don't need to pay for it. Starting, uh, yeah, it's average. You might want to do some custom CSS on it, but it works really well. Otherwise, I, I quite like it, and you don't need to pay anything for that. So that's my recommendation. You'll need to basically make your content better. And to be honest, you can, it's quite interesting. You can go quite far in terms of having shit content on your site and still ranking. Like we still see lots of sites with really, really bad content ranking, but the fact that they refresh it often, that their data is up to date, etc., and that more, in general, they match, they match the sections of everyone, but then it's garbage. That's what's written. That still works, unfortunately. So, yeah. So it's kind of somewhat related to this. And we, we talked about this at the end of last year with the last Google reviews update. But for people doing commercial content, reviews, roundups, for physical products, you know, the Amazon guys out there, how does product in hand stuff impact all this do you think is it just is it as important of a factor here or is not it- for seo i think i think it matters for conversions maybe i don't think google i don't think google gets it like that part i don't think so uh, it's i mean it, the thing is it really depends if you go into most community like if you search for like best vacuum cleaner for example you will have two types of sites you will have the sites that actually did the reviews in hand and you will have these massive publishing conglomerates that uh, do not do in hand and just have the Amazon photo pulled from the API the same way everyone else does it and still rank. But you won't have medium sites without in hand reviews that rank. You know what I mean? Like that people that want to keep ranking for these niches and are not these huge publishing conglomerates. I don't see the ones that, I rarely see the ones that, I'm not going to say don't, I say rarely. I rarely see the ones that don't do the enhanced review rank anymore against these big uh, publishing guys. But when you do better content, yeah, it, it happens. Like, do people do, do not for like best vacuum cleaner, but like for like kind of like the lower levels, you know, like best vacuum cleaner for pet hair and stuff like that, for example, you know. And so like, that's the question. Is this a ranking factor? Or is it just these sites are better and these guys run their sites? Like if they are able to do in-hand reviews and really high quality reviews, maybe their link building is really good too, for example. Like 
Or like, just the words they put on the page are yeah. more sort of accurate, gets to the point quicker, or effective so, at conveying their, their argument. I think it could be one of these cases of like correlation is not causation. You know, it's like ice cream sales don't go up because it's summer. Ice cream sales go up because the weather is nice, you know, and it's kind of like the same thing. A lot of people would be quick to call it a ranking factor. I don't think we should go that far without really having some technical tests or something of like uh, of seeing that. But what I see is that people who do great content in general do better over the long run. Like people who actually do put that effort of doing that. The question is like, how profitable is their business? Because obviously it's so much more expensive to write reviews like that. Obviously you can like resell the items and send some back, etc. But like you're not going to buy a hundred vacuum cleaners and send them back all the time and Amazon's going to let you buy again, etc. Like, no, no, no. They, once you send back 100% of your orders, you won't be able to do that again and so on. Like, so it's tricky, you know? And the question is like, is it worth it? I think it's increasingly worth it, but I don't think that's necessarily because it's a direct ranking factor. I just think these sites do better because they're just better sites in general, basically. Like, And so, and that's the thing. It's, it's kind of like one of the things that I'm really getting into. I'm like, fuck, I'm getting old. I don't want to build shit sites anymore. I want to build like real sites and stuff. And it's like profitability matters, but I think long-term, um, like the long-term viability of these things as I'm observing in the market, it also matters. Because it's like, how much money you're going to make is not how much money you made last month. It's how much money you make on average per month multiplied by how many months you make it. And so like, you know, some SEO plays are more, are more rank and tank, like we call it now. And some are more... <laughs> and uh, this this time is going to be kind. I hope like I want someone some other uh, SEO personality person yeah, to start using hacker, it. Yeah, the authority hacker rank and tank need, merch coming soon. We need a t-shirt. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's, there's two ways to build this, right? You can either rank and tank, or you uh, and or like you know take more risks and like you know essentially cut corners on content and like be just good enough. I'll try to go above so that you match what the future expectations of the market will be. Because obviously they're rising, right? Content now compared to content five years ago. We complain, I say shit, etc. But the truth is it's a lot better than what it was in a lot of niches. Um, and so you've got... Uh, and that's why I like the idea of like overperforming on that on that level. Because it's it's kind of like the most... Security. Guaranteed future proofing, you know? Like you can't tell what the algo is going to do but you can tell Google's going to try to give better results. And so I, f- I sound like Rand Shishkin now. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Rand. <laughs> anyway, let's go on the next one. Unless you have something else to say on that. No. Actually, never mind. There's a bullet list I wanted to go for that section uh, to go over. And a few examples of like how to make that content better in practical terms, right? Instead of talking high level. Like, avoid walls of text. Like, if I, like, I have a 14-inch laptop, right? And I like to put the page on that 14-inch screen because I feel like that's the most average experience most people have in terms of screen size or whatever. And if I see a screen where there's just text, that's all I see. Like there's no image, there's no header, there's no nothing. I don't think it's good enough. Like that's when I'm like, okay, we need to rework that section to make it more visual, etc. And that was one of the things I'm doing right now as well as I'm doing swipe files for uh, Toy Hacker Pro, actually. Like I'm building, we're building swipe files for Toy Hacker Pro and I'm starting to take uh, notes of all these swipes and I spend lots of time on lots of affiliate sites, etc. And the best ones, like it's so visual. Like I've done a, I've done a VS post type swipe file like today. And like the best sites to do that 
maximum, there's like paragraphs of four lines before there's like some kind of graph or visual element that compares the products or something like that. And that's the level to where I think you need to go if you want to get good. So like, yeah, illustrate, mixed media, make the page scannable, basically, so you don't have to read. Most people don't read your web page. Most people don't read your intro. Most people don't read your stuff. They just scan for the headings. They check the one they want. They read the bullet list that is under, and they just click on the button or they leave your page, pretty much. And so that's why, like, basically focus on that readability thing. And uh, writing long Google Docs is, I don't think, the way to build web pages anymore. So it's a big debate we have with the team right now. It's like build web pages, not Google Docs. Yeah, anything on that? Nope. Okay, the next one I want to talk about is fixing your page experience. And now we're jumping onto Google Search Console. They actually made a brand new section in Search Console called Page Experience. They never update Search Console almost, so when they do it, you imagine that it matters. And the on-page experience is basically three things. It's Core Web Vitals, Mobile Usability, HTTPS. HTTPS, we're not going to go over this right now. I expect everyone that listens to this podcast knows how to do a Let's Encrypt uh, SSL certificate. Core Web Vitals, we've had videos and episodes about that. So I'm not going to go over that, but basically I don't think you need to be green. I don't think, I think you just need to be like average. If you're in the yellow, you'll be fine with your rankings. I don't think it's going to cost you. If you're in the red, it could cost you. And then mobile usability is the one I want to focus on because a lot of sites have mobile usability issues. The problem with Search Console is it's not very good, their tool in there. And let me explain why. <laughs> I actually, I was testing that. I tested that many times. Google flags a bunch of issues, like text is too small to read, for example, or like uh, elements are too close to each other to click on them or something like this. And then they're like, okay, just um, here's a bunch of uh, page examples. So they give you a list of like 100 pages with their issues. And then you can click on this and you can test it with their live tool. So like what you see in Search Console is what they've cached when the actual crawl, uh, search crawler saw it. And you can test it. They have a tool similar to the PageSpeed Insight tool for PageSpeed that allows you to live test your mobile usability. <laughs> and you post an example page in that tool. About 70% of the time, it will return absolutely no issue on that tool, but still flag you in Search Console. So you validate the changes it's because there's a button to say, okay, I fixed it. It's called validating the changes. You validate that, and then they just don't fix they like they still tell you the issues here. So like Google has some issues with their tools, they're a bit shit. But for the biggest issues, it will still flag them and you should still look at them. And you should try like uh multiple like like try it on your mobile, basically. Try the example pages on your mobile. And if you see visual issues, go and fix them because we all build websites on desktop, but most of our traffic is mobile. I think a really good exercise is go on Google Analytics and look at the split between mobile, tablet, and desktop today. And then go Most if you have history, mobile, go yeah. go and go and look back what it was two, three, four, five years ago, and you'll see there's a huge trend. Like the desktop as a percentage is declining massively. We're a little bit different in Authority Hacker because yeah. I think we're one of the few sites that's more we desktop because you guys you know? are you guys <laughs> are are all internet marketers. But that is the trap, right? We're sitting here with our huge monitors building web pages, and we're not, you know taking a mobile-first approach, and sometimes we need to. Yeah, I mean, Google's search index is mobile-first now as well. It's been for a few years now, actually. So it's like, it's very important, and I think we, it's one thing that we need to talk more about, like, how do we make sites great on mobile? How do we be better for mobile, etc.? Because it's, it can cost, it can cost you quite a bit, and it's like, uh, and you might not see it. You open your site on desktop, and you don't see anything. And quite often, even if you open in, uh, you know, in Chrome, you can inspect and see, like, the mobile viewport. 
it's not the same. It's still rendering kind of the desktop site because the browsers execute code differently, etc. on your phone and so on. It's much better to actually check on the phone and see uh, to that. I, like recently, I was even considering getting an Android phone again just to uh, test pages actually for that because uh, it, it's often a problem, not always, but that can cost you rankings, especially if it's mobile. And if you're just you know looking at the WordPress dashboard on your Chrome browser on desktop, you will not know any of the issues and quite often sites look pretty atrocious on mobile. Um, so I would recommend to look at that and that helped us a few times when we fixed it actually. And same, core vitals matters when you're red. Where if you're like middle, I, I wouldn't panic for it for your rankings. Like going to green, I don't think it's going to, it's, it could help. We've seen some help for some sites. We've seen sites, okay, core vitals. It's different. I think what it does when you optimize your site for core vitals is it makes your pages lighter. So you have a crawl budget for your website. Like it was like, okay, I'm dedicating, you know, 500 megabits per day for this site to crawl their pages. If the pages are like five megabits each, it's going to be crawling a hundred pages. If the pages are, you know, 10 times less, it's going to crawl a thousand pages and they will refresh more often and they will, your, your rankings will be more fluid and then that's how sites rank faster, etc. So it can help in that aspect, I believe. And we've seen sites go up by fixing core vitals. Like we have a course on that and we've seen people do quite well on that. But usually it's not the reason why you're not ranking. Usually these are, they're more, they're more content and link issues and then core vitals and this comes after basically. That's pretty much all I have to say on this. Anything else? On mobile? No. Anything? Okay. And the last one, the next one, not the last one, is add some link juice. <laughs> yeah, it's like links matter. Again, that's when you go back to your keyword tool, you throw your keyword and you look at your link metrics against your competitors' link metrics, but be a little bit careful because when you open the Ahrefs or whatever tool you use, a SERP analyzer, they tell you a number of link domains and a number of backlinks, right? There is no, I mean, there is a little bit of qualitative data in the UR like UR is like URL rating. It's basically DR for URL. It gives you a bit of qualitative data, but like, you know, like someone might have much less links than you, but they're much better. They're like in content, et cetera. And you made a bunch of like social bookmarking or whatever, like complete crap stuff, directories. <laughs> and then you have all these links. And so you have a bigger number and you're ranked lower. You'll be like, I don't understand. I have all these links. I'm not ranking. Well, your links are shit. So you need to also dig into the top guys' link reports. And you need to look at like, like I like to count real links when I look at it. So I usually go in Nikiru domains and I'm like, okay, there's like 50 links, but there's four real links that like are quality in content links with like a decent anchor text, et cetera. And the site is more than the R30, let's say something like this, you know? And the rest, I kind of discard it. And then I compare my real links against their real links. So it does take some analysis. And then you might need to do that. Another thing that people miss on quite often is internal links. Pages, like you often, especially when you publish it, you tend to not do that. I build my internal links by doing site column, yoursite.com, and then related keyword and let Google give me the top pages. But actually, Spencer's going to be happy. The Link Whisper just released a new version and it looks actually pretty interesting. I want to test it again uh, and see how it is, but they've added a bunch of new functions, looks a bit more usable. So it might be a cool thing to look at for internal links as well. Uh, just wish it wasn't a subscription, but yeah. And you want to talk about external links, right? Yeah, so... External links, I mean, they're usually the go-to people are like, oh, why am I ranking? Oh, you need more links. And people automatically think of of external links. But there's a reason we put this almost last, last yeah. because if you don't do all of the stuff we've talked about so far, you know, 
most cases, you can throw as many links as you want at a page and you're still not going to get anywhere because your search intent's wrong or something's broken on your site or whatever. Once you have fixed all those things and you know, you're in with a chance of, of actually ranking, there's, you have to kind of consider that you may be up against sites who are 10, 15, 20 years old and they've been acquiring links for a long period of time actively and passively. Uh, and you have the only way you can really catch up with those older sites or, or time is by doing active link building and a hell of a lot of it. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your, your, your point of view of paid links, paid links offer a unique opportunity, let's call it, to direct a lot of links to specific pages and you get a lot more control over where they're, they're pointing to. So in order to maximize the potential there, it's a good idea to have a link target list. This is something which we have. We update every month on the first of the month. And it's basically keywords we want to defend, keywords we want to attack, and then strategic keywords to like hub pages, strategic pages like hub pages and pages which distribute link juice kind of around the site. So if you're if you want to attack a keyword, you know, your bottom of page one, then just start throwing a lot of usually paid external links from outreach towards that. And the more you do, as long as they're, they're, they're decent, the better. And you really don't need many. As Gail said, you know, you, you're up against a competitor who has a thousand backlinks to, to pay. You go in, almost certainly most of them will be shit. And if you're able to add, you know, three, four, five links to that page per month, in many keywords, certainly anything which is, you know, low, medium, even medium-high competition, you're going to make progress in in that. And yeah, outreach-based link building is is the way to go there. Harrow and et cetera is not, not really going to move the needle yeah, so much on a links to page. Yeah, it's, is, it's a combination effort, right? But yeah, you need to you need both. Harrow gets you probably better quality links, but they're like more to the overall the overall like authority of your site. And you need that eventually. Like it opens up new keywords when you're like high enough authority. And this is uh, another case where you kind of have to pick your battles, right? You can't build all the links to all the pages. So pick, you know, three, four, five that you really want to push and then focus your link building effort for the next few months on on those, track the results and see what impact it has. Usually it's positive. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And then I put a last point. Anything you want to say on links again? Oh, you're done. Okay. I put a last point, which is what do you do if I did all of this and it didn't work? And <laughs> because it happens, right? I want to say most likely you you think you've done it all, but you haven't. By far the most common scenario we get people coming to us is like, hey Mark, I've you know fixed all my content. It's really good. It's unique. You know, it's 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 great. All it's my own pages sorted. I'm building links, and then you go in and actually look at the content, and it's just like actually this is you know average, below average content. So if you think you've done it, ask someone else if they agree. Preferably someone that's going to give you an honest answer. And then you, you probably find that you haven't done those things. Yeah, but also some, I mean, definitely, like if you work, as I said, you can rank for any keyword, probably do the effort, right? But it might take like a lot of tries before you actually uh, make some progress. And not everything, every effort that you put gets you results, actually. And that's quite annoying. But I want to add as well that there's a, definitely a part of randomness in SEO. I think I, I had that discussion with Carl Roof when I met him at a conference at some point where it's like, you might do everything right for a page and it doesn't rank. doesn't matter what you do. You have more links, you have longer, better content, you've put custom illustrations, it's really nice, etc. 
and you like some some idiot with a terrible site is just outranking you and just makes you pull your hair out, hair out. You know, it's just it's really annoying. And sometimes the opposite happens as well. It's like a page you barely put any effort in, you just throw it in there. And it starts ranking, it becomes one of the main pages on your site. It makes you pivot to a different direction, etc. And that part of randomness, even the best SEOs experience it. It's not, it's not just you, it's not everything. People who, you know, are in this industry will tend to not like talking too much about this in public because it takes away their power of being like, I'm so great at SEO, etc. Like the, that part of randomness, right? If there is randomness, there is also luck, right? That means that luck exists also in this industry. I don't think there's luck on a large number of pages, like on a thousand pages, I don't think there is luck, but on one given pages, on one given event, eventually things even out to your talent, but on one event, yes, it can happen. And so it's part of, uh, there's not much else to say then. It's, th- it's that's, part of That's like the nature of the website. game, that's SEO, right? We're, but, we're dealing fundamentally with uh, an unknown algorithm. Yeah. There's a huge part of it that we we don't know. So all we can do is, make the most of the information we, we have and try and apply some logic and science to, to that. But to reduce this the is why yeah. it's like part art, part science, right? Yeah, but that, the thing is like, look at how well I prepared this podcast because what it does, it loops us right back to the beginning of the podcast, which is reopening the debate. If there is randomness, if there is luck, should we keep publishing lots of pages or just work on a few pages? 100%? Because, you know, because of that part of randomness, you might be focusing on pages that you might you might eventually never rank, you know? I mean, unlikely, like if you really do a good job, you, you would rank. But there is a bit of that too. And so like that makes that debate even more confusing. <laughs> I think like this, this is like a total unscientific answer, but like my gut from, you know, our discussions we've been having about this stuff uh-huh. over the last, last few weeks has been, and bear in mind, we're like take, looking at this from like a portfolio view of running multiple sites, is that rather than trying to like scale every site to thousands of articles, we we should be okay with, you know, setting a limit at, 100, 200, 300 articles or however many that that make sense, that are realistic without trying to kind of stretch things too far and just try and do a really good job of those and then start another site. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like a thought process that we're still going through right now. But yeah, we're, we're liking the idea of like building very clean, tight focused sites and not always try to make them like a thousand pages or something. Like we have a site that reach around like 300 something pages and we're thinking like it's not too far from where we want it to be permanently and instead of building more pages we're going to be like taking a hundred pages that don't rank and recheck the keywords recheck the subs etc because these keywords make they would make the most money if they ranked for example and that's why that's why i wanted to bring up that podcast today that debate etc i think it's interesting there's pros and cons of everything and it's like i know people like clear-cut answers but that's not going to be one of these podcasts however the clear-cut uh, thing that you get is uh, all the tips that we gave you on doing on your pages. Like that's what we recommend you do. Obviously, some stuff like reworking your content, etc. It's hard to go in detail because each in each niche is going to be different. Each process is going to be different, etc. But overall, that is how you fix a page that doesn't rank. Any final words of wisdom, Mark? No. I have words of wisdom, which is a like, subscribe, comment, da, 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 the bell, etc. Anyway, that's pretty much it. Thank you very much, guys, for coming. We'll see you next, in two weeks, rather, for another episode. Have a good week. Oh, 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 oh